0: I want to let you know too that um, we are in week four of the study on the Lord's Prayer and uh, what's amazing about what I'm hearing that the Lord is doing in our church is more people are talking about the ways that this study has impacted their prayer life. Um, There's been good things that people are sharing that they're praying more and more fervently. There's been hilarious things because I unfortunately talked about the word just and now people are ruined and they can't pray anymore. And they're so embarrassed. But anyways, just just forget all that as a joke and all that. So just keep praying. Um, But one of the things that we have been doing the last couple of years is we've been um, inviting our church to be a part of this thing called Seek God for the City where we're spending 40 days from the end of February through Palm Sunday praying for our community, praying for the world. And uh, so I invite you to grab one of those, pray along with us. Um, as we are interceding um, for the behalf of, on behalf of our city, on the behalf of our community and the world, that God would do a work in and among us. Um, so those are available at the little table out front as you head out look to the right. It's a do- suggested donation of a dollar. If you don't have a dollar, um, just go ahead and grab one and, and make sure you're praying with us. You know, not only are we praying for the community that God has placed us here at Golden Hills, but we're also looking to figure out ways that we can bless our community ways in which we can be salt and light in our community and also the reality is is um, we're supposed to seek the good of our community and so the common good we're supposed to pursue it and one of the things that we've done through our community initiatives ministry led by uh, pastor johnny moore is um, the last couple years we've collected paper um, with much needed resource in our schools in our area of mary casey black and brentwood and also sutter elementary in antioch and they've been I'm so appreciative and so uh, grateful for that. Well, a few weeks ago, we were approached by Brentwood Unified School District with a unique opportunity to help, if possible. And uh, what they were saying is that uh, the schools are, they just don't have the kind of funding and resources to be able to support an arts program uh, in the schools. And so I've I've kind of hinted at this, but I'll I'll talk more about it uh, in the future Lord willing, um, about the role of arts. And we need to be a people who appreciate beauty. We need to be a people who pursue beauty because God created all things and he's made them beautiful. And uh, actually the the Garden of Eden is not just a place where God resourced people with food, but he also made things pleasing to the eye, which is another way to say beautiful. So we should pursue beautiful things and uh, also the arts. We love... Um, for kids and and people to just enjoy the arts. And so we endorse that. We support that. I think it's biblical. It's a very Christian approach to the world. And so when we heard about this, we looked at the money that we had left over um, after the paper drive, and the Lord has just provided uh, from many of you. And so what we did is we looked at what we had, and then we went to the schools. And what we were able to do is we were able to outfit art supplies for each of the 11 schools in Brentwood. So that's cool, and uh, they're obviously very appreciative, and uh, I'm just so blessed by that. So thank you for all that uh, supported that, who gave, and uh, who know the importance um, of arts, especially uh, in our community, and so anyways, thank you for that. If you have a Bible, which means open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, where we're going to continue on to the next petition of the Lord's Prayer. This is the fourth petition And this petition is about daily bread and about God being our provider. You know, when Heather and I moved here from Brentwood, uh, excuse me, from Roseville um, to Antioch, it was a really interesting time because this is when the Great Recession had hit. And um, because of that, we were able to buy a house because otherwise we could never afford a house in this community. But anyways, um, we moved here and uh, the house that we bought was a foreclosure and it had squatters living in it. And so it was just filthy beer cans everywhere, razor blades and closets, all kinds of stuff that I can't even mention uh, in a church sermon. But there's just, it was really bad. And so we basically spent every dime that we had saved to buy this house and also to paint it and clean it in order to, you know, make it livable. And uh, we came in and we lived in it. And then the first winter, of course, a giant windstorm came by, (laughs) blew down the fence. Uh, And it's the long part of our fence. And so we didn't have no money. And so it's like, oh. And then the homeowner's association came by and uh, in this great uh, holiday season. They gave us a a letter letting us know that they were going to fine us for a fence that fell down. And I'm like, oh, you want more of what we don't have. Awesome. Um, So then we contacted our neighbor and we're thinking, hey, this will be great. We'll partner with our neighbor and we'll be able to get this thing built up. And the neighbor replied that they were going to sue us for $10,000 or more. Because previous to us owning the house, the tree in the front yard had displaced their driveway, and so they needed to replace it, and so they're coming after us. And so I'm thinking, home ownership, woo, you know. (laughs) The American dream. So we shared that with our small group, and uh, there's a collection of people there, and we said, man, we just need to pray. We don't know how how to do this. We have no idea what to do, and they're going to start finding us and all this kind of stuff. And so... Uh, later that week um, we received a cashier's check and we don't know who it's from it's from anonymous people It had a little note in it and it just basically said we counted a joy uh, to bless you guys and I was like wow and uh, Heather and I were just overwhelmed um, by the generosity and so obviously we probably think it's someone or a group of people in our small group or whatever but you know the reality is God seldom um provides for us in miraculous ways but god loves to provide for us as his people through his people that's how god's designed it if god intended to provide for us only in miraculous ways we wouldn't call it miracle anymore (laughs) but how god intends to provide for his people is through the everyday Ways in which he supplies his people so that through his people, his people will be supplied. When we come to this petition, what we see in this petition in uh, chapter 6, verse 11 is Jesus teaching us how we ought to pray for our daily bread, for our daily provisions. And this prayer, it helps us to understand why we need to be dependent on God. And so it builds within us a dependency. It creates that dependency upon God by helping us understand what's what. But it also shapes the way that we practice hospitality. And so it kind of works both ways. It's a great benefit to us. So let's read this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus taught us, give us this day our daily bread. Simple and yet very profound. So Father, teach us, I ask. There's but a handful of words here. And yet what we see in these handful of words is a great and beautiful truth. That you are our provider, that you are faithful, that you will come through. And that you intend to bless your people through your people. And so God, teach us, I ask. Teach us. And we'll thank you for whatever it is that you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's hard for us to see the hand of God providing for us. It kind of throws people off when we say something like this. If I was to say God provides you with everything that you have, it ultimately comes from God. That feels weird. And the strangeness of it is because we all understand what it means to get up out of our bed, to take a shower, brush our teeth, get dressed, go to work for a week, two weeks, a month, receive a paycheck. I mean, it's right there in front of you. You take it to a bank. It's just like literally a bank that's there. And then you can deposit it and you get a receipt and you can see how much money you have. It's really difficult in light of all those things to not think, I did this. I have the bed. I have, I showered. I brushed my teeth. I went to work. I did the work. I got paid. I took it to the bank. Me, I did it. Where's God in all this? Because God is invisible and God is spirit, we often think we are the ones that make things possible. And so what I want to do is I want to start out by helping us understand a proper relationship that we should have to God. As we talked about in week one, God is creator and we are creatures. And that serves as a great principle or a great foundation for understanding how it is that God could be our provider in all things. And so when the Apostle Paul is speaking to the cultural elites, the intellectually elite Greeks in the city of Athens in Acts chapter 17, here's what he says. And he teaches a great truth, something which is important for us to grasp and understand. He says, the God who made the world, Acts 17 verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Look at verse 25 especially. Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And the Apostle Paul's teaching quite clearly that you know what? No matter who you are, all of mankind is ultimately owing whatever it is they have to God. Whether that's your life itself, whether it's the breath or everything else, ultimately it comes from God. And this is a great lesson to us. God has no need. God is not in our debt in the sense that he's waiting and hoping that we would do something for him. That is not how God functions. God has everything. God has no need at all. In fact, the breath that we breathe is borrowed breath. The sun that shines is because God allows it and causes it. It's because God brings rain that rain comes Le- life and breath and everything else is owing to God. He has no need, and yet He is the one who gives all things to all people. We see the same kind of thing throughout the Bible. In fact, when you read about King David and you read about King Solomon and their accumulation of the resources necessary to build the temple, you can see in their prayers their understanding of just the nature of who God is. King David, when he's accumulating all the resources, here's how he prayed in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14 and 16. He prays, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. Verse 16, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name come from your hand and is all your own. In other words, David is looking at the mass of supply that has just come in from the people. And he's looking at these heaps of resources. And his conclusion is, Lord, we've only brought to you what you've already given to us. It's like a rebound effect. God gives to us, rebound right back up to him. Nothing that we have is self-generated. Nothing that we have is not first given to us by God. And the greats of the faith have always understood this principle. That we have because God has given. This is one of the indications that God is the creator. We are the creature. And therefore, as creatures, we are dependent on God. We are dependent on God. In fact, in our culture, we have a little saying which signifies the fact that we all understand that we're creatures. And therefore, as creatures, that we are not utterly self-sufficient. And it's this little phrase, and I've seen it on Airbnb and stuff, so I know it's popular. Creature comforts. You ever heard of that? Creature comforts. So people are trying to get you to rent their Airbnb because they're like, hey, all the creature comforts are right at your fingertips. And you're like, oh, sweet. Creature comforts. What do we mean by that? Obviously, we mean that you can get some food, you have shelter, and there's general kind of provisions that are at your disposal. So when you go rent a cabin up in the woods, don't worry, you don't have to hunt deer. There's a store down the street, (laughs) and there's a wood-burning stove and whatnot. This makes sense. Our world knows this. It's so odd that we would even have to, like, argue about this because it's in our parlance. You know, it's just like in our common language that we understand our creatureliness, We are dependent. And so, Jesus teaches us in this prayer the first two words of this petition, give us. That is a right and good perspective. God, we're coming to you to give us because we ourselves do not have what it takes to supply for ourselves. So, God, would you give us? Would you come through for us? The natural world is brimming with examples of dependency. When you look at the natural world around us and you look especially at living organisms, ask yourself the question, could these living organisms survive apart from any kind of dependence on anything else? Put it plainly, every living organism is dependent upon its parents in order for its livelihood. Dependency is hardwired into the world that God has created. You see it all over the place. Why wouldn't it be true of humanity? We are living creatures. And in reality, we are utterly dependent upon our parents in order for our lives to be sustained. And this is one reason, I think, why Jesus uses this imagery in Matthew chapter 18 to help us understand dependency and to teach us about who God is. The disciples come to Jesus, chapter 18 of Matthew, verses 1 through 4, and they said to him, they asked him a question, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't say anything about dependency. He doesn't use the word. Instead, he uses a word picture. He calls a child into his midst, and he says, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? You want to know who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is like? Look at this child. And what do we know about children? They are dependent. And what makes children humble is their dependency. And so what Jesus is teaching is anyone who's going to be in the kingdom of God must have these characteristics, which is Christ-likeness, which is childlikeness, dependency, and humility. And the humility comes from the dependency. And I love what Jesus says, unless you change or unless you turn or the word is also unless you repent and become humbly dependent on God, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, why is it that we are to be so dependent? And the answer is because that's the way reality is. That's the way the world is, is we are creatures, therefore dependent on God as creator but it's not as though God is like a divine watchmaker where he like winds up the clock and then sets it out there and then go takes a siesta and just lets it all kind of do its thing it's not like that God is actively involved in every aspect of what it means to be alive in this world Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 the writer there says he is the referring to Jesus the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. The whole universe that we experience is being sustained by the word of Jesus that contains power. Not everyone believes that. Not everyone would agree with that. They would say, no, Einstein's law of relativity, that's what sustains the universe. And I would say, where did the law come from? Colossians 116 through 17, the Apostle Paul says, "For by him that is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the cause of all that exists. Jesus, is the reason why everything that exists continues to exist. Jesus is the purpose for which all things exist. Jesus is preeminent in everything. Jesus is all in all. Jesus not, is not irrelevant. Everything is owing to him. Everything is made through him. Everything is made ultimately for him. And because these things are true, like if you want to have a biblical worldview, you want to look at the world according to Scripture, then you would come to realize that Scripture teaches we are dependent creatures upon a God who has no need. God ultimately created all things. God ultimately is sustaining all things. And ultimately, God will bring all things in conformity to his will, all for his glory and for the joy of what he has created. That is just having a biblical worldview. Now what's amazing is the implications of this. The breath that we breathe is owing to God. The sun that shines is owing to God. The food that we eat is owing to God. Everything is owing to God. Everything. But we don't see that because God is invisible. We don't see that because God is spirit. But this prayer that Jesus gives us helps to re- remind ourselves of the truth that god is who he says he is and we are who god says we are and so we pray this prayer to teach ourselves that we are dependent on god to recall that truth we are dependent on god therefore god give us i need you to come through you've got to give us and i love what jesus does here is he teaches us that you know what we ought never to be embarrassed by the physical needs that we have as we bring them to God. When you look at the first three petitions of this prayer, they're very exalted. They're very high and transcendent, lifted up kind of petitions. And a lot of people think the only way to pray sufficiently is to pray in that kind of trajectory where you don't talk about your daily needs. You don't talk about whatever that's going on. You got, I don't know, a hang, hangnail or something like that. You don't, you don't pray about that stuff. You only pray the high stuff. Or other people will default to the other things where, you know, like we just kind of devolve into just praying for natural things that we see in front of us. But Jesus' prayer is that we need to be praying for both. We need to understand that when Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread, what he's doing is dignifying the physical needs that we have. He's encouraging us to bring the mundane things like food for our tables into the presence of God and say, God, we need this stuff. Can you come through for us? God, give us this. And so God teaches us in this prayer that he is indeed concerned with your day-to-day life. God actually cares about what you do hour by hour. And it's not as though God is like the meticulous, you know, rules keeper sitting there like, oh, I can't wait for you to screw up. Mm, Yeah, see what's next. Instead, God, as we're told in Scripture, keeps us in the forefront of his mind As the apple of his eye. It's not as though he can't wait to see what we do next so he can punish us. It's that he can't wait to see what we do next because he enjoys watching us. That is, obviously, as we obey him, not as we send our brains out. That goes without saying. But I love what Jesus does. Not only does he teach us and exemplify this through this prayer, but by his very life, he shows us what this looks like to live dependently upon God. We see this most clearly in the fact that God of the universe became a human being. God of the universe became a man and was born to Mary, whose father was Joseph. And the God of the universe, while he was a young child, was utterly dependent on two Sinful human beings for his very life. <laughs> that doesn't amaze you. I don't know something's off. That is wild. The God who made food hungers. The God who made water thirsts. And not only that, but we see the temptation that Jesus experienced in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. This is another great example of Jesus' dependency upon God as Father. It says that Jesus was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, look at these next three words, he was hungry. He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to Jesus if you are the son of god command these stones to become loaves of bread when we read this we typically think that satan is tempting jesus with food but he's not what satan is tempting jesus with is self-sufficiency jesus you claim to be the son of god jesus you're hungry so why don't you avail yourself to the opportunity to self-sufficiently create a solution to your need. If you're so hungry, why don't you feed yourself? So Satan tempts Jesus with self-sufficiency. And Jesus replies in verse 4, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Two more times, Satan tempts Jesus by way of self-sufficiency in a different way. And in verse 10, Jesus finally says, be gone, Satan. Every time Jesus is tempted, he responds with the truth of God's word. And then Satan flees. And we find this in verse 11. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So Jesus rejects the temptation to self-sufficiency. The temptation of self-sufficiency, he was able to fight against with the truth of God's word. And in the truth of God's word, Jesus trusted his father's provision. I can't see exactly how God is going to supply my hunger pains, but I'm just going to trust his word, and I'm going to declare the truthfulness of God's word, and I'm going to resist Satan and the temptation to be self-sufficient. And Jesus resisted, 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 and then God the Father came through. And he provided. The angels ministered to Jesus. We often are tempted to self-sufficiency, you and I. And we have got to raise up and fight against that temptation with the truth of God's word. Now, this is hard for me to say because we swim in the waters of, a, of American, the American spirit. We're, we're all a part of America and what it means to have the American dream. And so self-sufficiency is, is like the essence of what we are. It's the air we breathe and the water we swim in. I mean, think about it. We're in, we're in presidential election season. And how often are you hearing people like giving speeches about how they are self-made, And this isn't just recently, this is all the way, go back and listen to Al Gore, listen to George Bush, listen to Mitt Romney, listen to Trump, listen to Bloomberg, listen to Obama, it doesn't matter. Every one of them will preach in such a way, and I say preach on purpose, they will preach in such a way that they will say, I'm a self-sufficient person, trust me, I can do it for you. So this is the air we breathe. We're all entrepreneurs and cowboys, And I don't mean that entrepreneurship or being a hardworking and self-motivated person is wrong. All I'm saying is simply this. Those things, self-sufficiency, entrepreneurship, hard work, can often be a great temptation to cause us to think that we are self-sufficient and we don't need God. It's a a big temptation. It's what makes the Shark Tank a, a compelling TV show. We don't want... To be left behind, we want to be the next great company, the next great millionaire, all that kind of stuff. So what do we do with that? Well, what we have to do is we have to confront this temptation as Jesus did. We have to confront it with the truth of God's word. Self-sufficiency defies the Christian worldview. It just runs contrary to it. It denies what it means to be human. It denies what it means for God to be God. And so if we're going to have a biblical worldview, brothers and sisters, we need to press against and fight against the temptation to self-sufficiency. And one of the texts I love is Deuteronomy 8 that teaches us this very thing. Deuteronomy chapter 8. When we turn there, we see how God interacts with his people. This is a big section. Here we go. Moses says to the assembly of God's people, the whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger. Whoa. God let them hunger to humble them. But then also, look what God did. He he then fed you with manna, which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That, does that sound familiar by any anyone? You know? This is where Jesus gets it. Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness, hungry and tempted. what is in His heart? And Jesus prevailed, trusting the truth of God's word, resisted the devil and he fled. And God came through and provided His needs. Same thing is happening with God's people. 40 years in the wilderness. What is in your heart? Will you trust my word? God provided. God came through. And so the humility comes from recognizing our dependency. And what I would say is self-sufficiency is how pride grows. And that is why it is the antithesis to Christianity. And we move on to verse 6. And there we see, so you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God and by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Who's bringing the people into the land? God is. And what kind of land is God giving the people? Oh, look at this. There's all kinds of stuff in here. It's a good land. Brooks of water, fountains, springs, valleys, hills, wheat, barley, fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees, Honey. It just goes on and on. There's good bread to eat. There's there's all kinds of stuff. There's a copper mine at the end of verse 9. Look at all the stuff, verse 10. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God. Why? Why should you bless and honor and praise God for the good land that He has given you? Don't get things twisted, Israel. <laughs> and if you look in chapter 9, verses 4, all the way through 6. God is saying, look, I gave you the land. I'm giving you the copper mines. I'm giving you the honey, the pomegranates, the wheat, the barley. I'm giving you the rivers and the brooks. I'm the one giving it to you. You don't deserve it. You're not righteous, and that's why I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you of my own accord. I'm giving it to you. Why does God go through all such pains to to remind the people, you better remember who's who and what's what? (laughs) Verse 11, take care. has gotten me this wealth. Brothers and sisters, there's a great temptation that the good things God gives us day by day, that we will get it into our minds, that it is our power, that it is our creativity, our ingenuity, it is us who has provided these great things. And we are tempted to forget God. And he says in verse 18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. That He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely Brothers and sisters, there is a great temptation to think that all that we have is because we are radically self-sufficient. We don't need God at all. Look at what I've done. But the reality is the biblical worldview is simply this. Not only the stuff you have and the things you get to freely enjoy about this world does God supply, but your very power The gifts you have, the creativity you have, the ingenuity you have, even those things which are the means by which you can acquire wealth. Who gave those to you? God did. God did. I remember when I was in college and I used to think, man, the only way to be a professional baseball player, which I was this close to becoming, was just hard work. If I just worked out and I just did all the work I needed to do, and I had a professor, he came alongside of me and he helped disciple me. He said, Phil, God has given you this gift, athletic ability. I said, yeah, I recognize that. He said, okay, well, then you need to work as hard as you can to maximize that gift. But knowing the gift and the work are all because God has first given it to you. So stay humble and stay hungry. But God has given it to you. You didn't do squat. And that's humbling. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't... Like, I didn't, before I was born, ask my parents or ask God, can you make me athletic? I'm kind of into that thing. God just gave it to me. And so... The people of Israel built houses, they tended their flocks, they raised their families, they did all the work. But who enabled them to do the work? God did. And who is the one who is ultimately the the supplier of all that? God is. And so we are dependent upon God. God is our provider, and we are the needy ones. But God promises to meet our needs, brothers and sisters. We have to get this through our mind. God promises to meet our needs. Not only does is he the creator of all things, not only is he the sustainer of all things, but he also says to us, don't worry about what you need. I will come through for you. Embedded in the Sermon on the Mount is this teaching of Jesus, this very thing about don't worry, God will provide, verse 25 of chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Don't worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And therefore, verse 32, the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God, your kingdom come, and his righteousness, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and all these things will be added to you. Dear brothers and sisters, don't worry. Life is more than clothes and food and stuff. God knows what you need. He'll provide for you. Now, for me to just say that is one thing. I could say that more energetically and more enthusiastically. I could get you all riled up. We could start jumping up and down and going bananas. But you notice what Jesus does. If you notice, I skipped verse 26 through 31. And the reason I skipped it is because between verse 26 26 and 31, that section of Scripture is all the rationale, all the reasons why Jesus can say to us, don't worry, you'll be provided for. Jesus says this, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's a beautiful question we all should entertain. Are you not of more value than they? Some people answer that question, no, no, animals, birds, humans, we're all the same, we're equal, we're all animals. That's not a biblical worldview. And I know people who claim to be followers of Jesus, and they would say, no, human beings and animals are all the same, they're equal. You don't follow Jesus. You don't even believe what he teaches. Jesus teaches you are of more value than birds. You have more value than birds. You have the image of God. And if God feeds birds, how much more do you think he's going to feed you? He goes on to say, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? We all pray for the 25th hour in the day. We're not getting it. (laughs) Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? We're coming into the spring season, and many of us are gonna drive around town and in our backyards and gardens, we're gonna see beautiful flowers, and we're gonna take pictures of them, we're gonna smell them, and we're just gonna oh. we're gonna fall in love with the beautiful colors and aromas that are gonna come. Except for us who have allergies, we're gonna hate this, but that's okay. <laughs> that's one other reason to look forward to the new heavens and new earth. No more allergies. And as we see all the beautiful beautiful flowers and all of the beautiful just new life springing up around us, may those things be reminders to us, as beautiful as these things are, God is the one who is adorning these lilies and these flowers and these trees with their beauty. And if God so adorns these natural plants with such beauty, don't you think, you of being more valuable than plants, that God would also clothe you? And so what Jesus is doing is Jesus is providing evidence for the truth that God will come through for us. Because some of us need the evidence. God, you say don't worry. God, you said you'll come through for us. But like how do I know that you'll come through? And Jesus says, when you see the red-tailed hawks flying over Brentwood and Antioch, and you see those majestic birds in flight, remember, you are more valuable than those birds. Those birds get fed, and I'll feed you. When you see those trees receiving their blossoms, you're more valuable than any blossom on any tree. God will clothe you. He will come through for you. We're part of a denomination called Converge. It used to be called the Swedish Baptist Convention. Then it changed its name to the Baptist General Conference, and then it changed its name to Converge. I'm not sure how they're all related, but nonetheless. We have an ordained pastor in our denomination who's very famous. His name is John Piper. And uh, he and Larry used to eat pizza together, I am told which is an odd kind of thing to see. But anyways, what he writes in one of his books is just fabulous. John Piper writes, Jesus assumes that truth, that is reasons, arguments, and facts, that they affect or influence our emotions. Anxiety is an emotion. It's not a decision. We don't decide to get anxious. It happens to us. Jesus attacks anxiety here in Matthew chapter 6, with truth and facts and promises. Therefore, Jesus must believe that his word, when given to our souls, will have an emotional, even physical, effect upon us. There are dozens of commands regarding our emotions in the Bible, and along with them, there are truths to bring about what is commanded. What he's saying is, When God commands our emotions like, don't worry. When he commands our emotions like, rejoice in your sufferings. When he commands our emotions like, come into the house of the Lord with gladness. He doesn't leave us to our own devices to figure out how to get our emotions in line with his commandments. God doesn't say, you better be rejoicing and you better be joyful and you better be glad and you better not worry. But I'll let you figure out how to do that. God doesn't leave us in a place where we must be self-sufficient. Instead, God provides for us promises and facts and reasons in his word that when believed will powerfully bring about the very emotions that he's commanding us to have. So when God says, don't worry, the only way to become a person who is not worrying is to bring to our minds the promises, the facts, and the truths that God has supplied us in his word. And as we recall these, Jesus believes that his word is powerful enough to bring about the emotions that he commands. That's why I love what we're doing here at Golden Hills with our worship and with our music. We are not trying to rile you all up emotionally without first telling you why you ought to feel the way you feel. We're not working everyone up into a frenzy. I'm emotional. Why? Because I am. <laughs> what are you emotional about? I'm emotional about being an emotional. Instead, what God provides us and what we're doing with the music choices we have here is this. We are putting before us and before our minds the truths and the goodness and the beauty of God himself. And Seen and sung, these very truths and promises have the power to create within us the emotions that bring God glory. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that happens. And so we pray. We pray that God would supply. But also, like I said, praying this prayer can cause us to have a right orientation to God and understand our dependency, but what also praying this prayer does for us, it helps us be shaped properly to have the right kind of perspective on hospitality, leveraging our resources in loving service of others for the glory of God. You see, when we pray, we're asking God, would you come through? Would you supply? We, the posture of a child, dependent and humble upon God our Father, and Jesus teaches us, actually, in Matthew 7, what we, how we should go about this. He says this in verse 7 of chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, will, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? And obviously everyone's like, no, I would never do that to my own kids. Dad, I'm hungry. Eat some rocks in the backyard, kid. And yet, Jesus says this, super offensive, but you'll see the truth of it. Jesus says, If you then, who are evil, (laughs) what? I'm what? Oh, yeah, you're evil. Whoa. If you, being evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you're evil, thoroughly evil, and you know how to give good, good gifts, what do you think God, who is thoroughly, perfectly, morally, holy, and righteous, how, how much more will God be able to give us good gifts? Infinitely more likely. So ask, seek, knock. Does that mean we can ask for Corvettes and stacks of cash and mansions? I don't think so. Remember what Pastor David led us in? Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. This is wisdom about how we should go about praying. Remove us from remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful from me. Why? Lest I be fool and deny you and say, Who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Profane to dishonor. So if we want to hallow God's name, we want to bring honor to God's name, we don't pray for abundance, we don't pray for excess, we pray for the needful provisions, neither poverty nor riches. We don't pray that way because we want to honor God's name. And so those who tell you in the name of Jesus, speak into existence and declare what is already yours, you will get that Cadillac. They are profaning the name of God. May God silence them. And I get this from Jesus where he says in Luke 12, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, to the whole crowd, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life is more than just your stuff. And you need to know that. Not only does it create a a, a correct, praying this prayer helps us to understand our dependency on God. It helps to shape our hospitality. Here's what I mean. When we come to understand that what we have is not our own, that God has provided it to us as a faithful father and creator to us as children creatures as a faithful father and creator to us as children creatures, then we will be more ready and more willing to use our resources and to leverage our resources to lovingly serve others for the glory of God. We will just be more inclined to do that because we know this isn't my stuff. I didn't didn't create this. I didn't make this. God gave me the power to earn the wealth, and he also gave me the wealth itself. And since God is so inclined to, to meet his people's needs through his people, that's why we read Romans chapter 12, just these last two verses. The Apostle Paul says, let love be genuine, hate what is evil or abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Or when we see the early church rise up in such power and influence... It wasn't because of political action. It wasn't because of all this stuff. What was happening? People were preaching the word. Many thousands of souls were being saved. Verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done among the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you think the early church prayed, God, would you provide? Absolutely. And yet at the same time, they're saying, God, would you provide? Oh, there's my brother in need. I'll provide. Simultaneous. And so we can pray, give us this day our daily bread. God, give us this day our daily bread. Let's close our service together, reciting the Lord's Prayer, and then I'm going to kick you out. Gross! I hear people saying the parking lot gets full, the kids are restless, so let's stand and recite this together so I can get you out of here and get out of trouble. Jesus teaches us to pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our prayer room's open if you want anything, any prayer for any reason. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.